Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Caught Offside. With Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. Oh, my God. What are we in now? What's up, brother? Andrew, I warned you all. I said business leadership forums and New Jersey soccer parents brought us to this. I didn't say the second part. I said the first part. What a what a right royal mess. What a tawdry embarrassment. Oh, it really is. It really is. We're going to talk all about it. I guess I can't call this an emergency podcast. We were always planning on recording tonight. But essentially, the tone of this and the subject matter of this, it, for all intents and purposes, it's an emergency pod. Because it's subject matter that is just utter... Uh, utter insanity i mean like i was thinking about it jj early on in in the history of this podcast um you'll remember like remember the days when you know landon donovan not being brought to a world cup was like oh (laughs) scandal oh my god this is a moment in u.s soccer history that no one will ever forget how can anything top this well here we are and i shudder to think what could top this this is uh this is different territory because, I mean, in, in the major emergency podcasts or, or dramatic podcasts we've had, it's been, uh, I don't know, a, a selection flavor or maybe an institutional flavor with the, with the Super League. It's never been this personal. It's never been this um, familial. This is really private. And now it's everywhere. And... I mean, we have to talk about it. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, I mean, this is the biggest thing happening in, in soccer in this country. I mean, JJ, you go to, I went to the BBC's website today. It was one of the top stories. You know, it's like, because it's not just the subject matter. I mean, that on its own, it, the, you know, if this was just happening within the confines of like an MLS club, it would still be a huge deal. But like, look at the names involved here. You know, it, it's the, like the central characters to this is Greg Berhalter, the manager of of the U.S. men's national team and a former U.S. international himself. 
it's Claudio Reyna, who is, for all intents and purposes, like I'll throw the word around, he's a legend of U.S. soccer. Multiple yeah. World Cups. You know, playing a prominent role for European clubs before that was such an like, such an in vogue thing for Americans to be doing. He's an American soccer legend, and Gio Reyna, who is considered to be one of the next great young American talents, unquestionably. These are the the main characters of this act. I mean, this is you know these are not these are not like bit part figures. These are giants of the sport in this country, and for them to be wrapped up and intertwined in in this kind of controversy surrounding a World Cup. I mean, it's just like, it's all the biggest things that you can essentially have within one, one controversy. And, and it's, and here it is, it's, it's, it's American soccer that is dealing with this. It's, I don't know, it's been a wild, I, I was going to say a wild 48 hours, but this extends further than that. I mean, I would say that this, this kind of begins with, with the leadership conference. You know, uh, and it's why it's why I'm almost afraid to be doing this podcast tonight because, unbelievably, Greg Bearhalter, at least at a time of recording, I haven't seen any retractions or anything like that. He's doing another one for who was it, JJ? Like the Harvard, Harvard, Harvard Business, Business Review. Review. He's doing another one on Thursday. Who knows what's going to come out of that? We might be we might be sitting here tomorrow night doing the same exact thing. I mean, depending it's, on it's, what new information comes out, it, it's just no surprise to me. That corporate America and New Jersey soccer parents, two of the most toxic realms in this great land, have come together to down this man. I, well, I'm being facetious. I'm being funny. Uh, there is one thing. There's a lot of people getting their getting their jokes in about this, and in a time of 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 crisis, if you want to call it that, or sadness, people like to make jokes, and I, and I understand that. I'm fine with it. Fire off your jokes. This is also incredibly sad. And we'll get to the sad part later on. But I think the most important thing now, Andrew, and look, you are a man who will be able to give us a blow by blow. Can you just recount from as close as possible to the beginning to how we got here? Like a start to soup to nuts, start to finish. Yeah. So before before I do that, I'll tell everyone, if you want a, a truly detailed timeline of events, The Athletic has one. Uh, that goes into much greater depth, dating back to the incident in 1991 that, I guess, precipitated all of this that was kind of lingering in the background until this moment where we're at now. But in terms of a more kind of condensed timeline of recent events, uh, here's how we got to where we're at today in this in this controversy involving uh, the Reynas and Greg Berhalter and U.S. soccer. Um, I guess it goes back to just before the World Cup with Greg Berhalter telling Gio Reyna that he was going to have a limited role at this tournament. Then from there, Gio now famously pouted, uh, however you want to describe it, through Down kind tools of a, in training. Yeah, yeah, basically just kind of had the exact opposite reaction that you were that you would hope a professional would have in a situation like this, to the point where he was nearly sent home from the World Cup. Yes, that's... I mean, this, this, this was something that was... we was dealt with in camp by by Greg Berhalter and it got to a a very serious point. Right. Meanwhile, as this is going on, we've kind of in the time since come to learn that the Reyna family is essentially apoplectic behind the scenes with what's going on and, and with Gio's playing time situation being what it was. And then also fa- and yeah. also now we know that there were messages being sent to Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart, you know, two of the higher ranking members of US soccer during the World Cup 
with the Rainers registering the frustration at at Rainers at uh, Geo's playing playing time. So this happened in the tournament concurrently with the tournament going on in Qatar. Yes. Yes. Uh, then fast forward a little bit to the U.S.'s World Cup run coming to an end. And then Greg Berhalter, almost immediately upon returning back to the United States, perhaps unknowingly, although I don't know if that's even relevant, oh. reveals the details of Reyna's behavior. Then, which is now what we're getting to in this moment, the Reyna family essentially goes nuclear, tells U.S. soccer the details of a 1991 domestic violence incident between Berhalter and his then-girlfriend, now-wife. Bearhalter then publicly reveals the details of this abusive incident and states that he was blackmailed into this admission by someone outside of U.S. soccer. And here we are. <sighs> Deep breath. Okay, gather thoughts. Where, where do we begin, J.J.? There are... There are many facets to this. There are many angles to take. I'm afraid that my thoughts tonight are just going to kind of come out as like some sort of barf sandwich where I just it's just word vomit where I I, I can't keep my thoughts together. Um, so I want to try to go through this. And I guess the first place to start for me, at least, is something that you just touched on. And I think it I think it you have to start with this because I think it sets the kind of tone that I'm sort of feeling around it. And that is what you said is just how sad this is on on just like on every level like there it doesn't feel like there's no good guy here there's no like it's kind of only everyone looks bad here and these are all people you know that like i don't know that i've come to respect you know as a kid watching claudio reyna play now watching geo reyna play um you know people can say what they want about him but like i hold greg bearhalter in a high regard as as the manager of this team that you know has won trophies that just qualified for the knockout stage at the World Cup. I mean, like people can make their jokes and all that, but like I, I he's a guy that I respect certainly. I don't feel any, you know, that's I don't feel any shame or embarrassment saying that. But like now, everyone I look at everyone differently now. There's a sadness to that, and then on top of that, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a friendship that is now shattered between Claudio Reyna and Greg Berhalter. Men in Blazers tweeted this earlier. They said, what makes this Claudio Reyna-Greg Berhalter story that much sadder is how the story of the Reynas is of this is how the story of the Reynas and the Berhalters to American soccer families are linked from such an early age. JJ, this is a friendship that goes back to high school in New Jersey yeah. when Greg and Claudio were teammates at St. Vincent's Prep. Like this is these are not just two guys who like were on the same US team. These guys, like, this was a friendship within friendships. Like, this is, this goes back. So you've got that, like, the, a situation that almost feels like it's now created, like, a Hatfields and McCoys scenario within U.S. soccer of these two famous American soccer families. And then, like, on top of all of that is the fact that this 1991 incident has been brought back to the forefront. And, you know, think of all, like... This was all targeted at Greg Berhalter, essentially, that this was made public. But the shrapnel of this hits so many other people. You know, Greg Berhalter's wife having to relive this. All the people in her life and in her orbit that didn't know this about her, that, like, now, you know, whether they, whether it's it's in their front of their mind or not, like, she's going to, when she is around her friends, she's going to feel judged. People are going to look at her differently. You know, they have four children. You know, presumably their friends and girlfriends or whatever didn't know you know, that this was a thing that happened. Like, everyone's going to look at everyone differently now because 
this needed to be put out there by aggrieved parents over playing time in a sport. Like, just think of that. The sadness of, of that, that like all these people have to relive this, this memory because of playing time. Uh, what? Yeah. And, and it's not just the, 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 the Greg Claudio element, that friendship element. I stumbled across the, uh, upon this tonight. It's um, front row soccer, put it out. Um, Michael Lewis. And it's a piece he wrote from the August 6th, 1992 edition of Soccer Week. Richmond, Virginia. Some players will go great lengths to pursue their favorite sport. Just ask Danielle Egan and Rosalind Santana. The two Long Island natives took several 14-hour round trips from Chapel Hill, North Carolina to play with the Willingboro, New Jersey strikers. Their dedication almost paid off behind their wildest dreams at the U.S. Youth Soccer National Championships last month as the strikers finished third in the girls' U19 competition. They began the season driving some three hours from their Long Island homes. Um, the piece is worth reading because, I mean, that amount of time in a car, mm-hmm. you know, how not just being teammates, but like bonding, trying to to to... to Keep one another awake on the journey. I don't let Roz sleep, Egan said. It's not that bad. It's a fast trip, as seven-hour trips go. Their favorite rest stop, Maryland House. It's right in the middle, Santana said. The rides were worth it. The Strikers won the New Jersey State Cup and Region 1 title. These are amazing memories and amazing things to to share. That's a year after the incident. And... According to the timeline, Greg's statement, Berhalter's statement put out, it would have been five months after they reconciled because it said they reconciled seven months after uh, Berhalter, Berhalter's alleged or not alleged. He admitted it. uh, His assault. It happened. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. His assault. Um, So they would have talked about this. They would have shared this in the car about how they felt. They would. uh, Hours like that pass. You don't talk about nothing. There would have been a bond formed. And for this then to be used because, to be weaponized because Gio Reyna isn't getting playing time at the World Cup is, it's profoundly, it's a profoundly vindictive thing to do. And and it just is. And, um, and so incredibly damaging. There's, there's no way back from, from something like this for them as, as, as couples and people. Oh, no, forget it. Oh, my God. No, I mean, these are, like, forget, like, no longer, oh, we're not really friendly anymore. Like, no, they're, they're enemies. Like, they've, they've completely crossed over from friendship to, you know, to complete enemies. I mean, there's got to be real hate now between the two. And that's, that is sad because you're right. These, it sounds like these friendships ran really deep and, they had to know, I mean, whatever the, the phone call was or the text message, you know, whatever, whenever send was pressed on that email, they had to know I'm, I'm hitting the, the detonate button on decades of, of relationships in doing this. And I, you had, there has to be some fog, deep, thick fog of parental hurt and anguish and grievance to do this. So... 
let's talk about that because that's sort of the next thing that I wanted to get to here. And that is kind of, so what were the Reynas thinking when this happened? Um, I don't know if, if they thought in some way it would be like a, a heroic act to unearth this. I don't think so. I think that that's probably giving them too much credit. I think it was just out of rage, out of some sort of spite, vengeance, call it whatever you want. Um, well, well, we should say that, I mean, Danielle Reyna, I nearly called her Danielle Egan. I shouldn't know the maiden name of Claudia Reyna's wife, but I do now, and I, I will occasionally get mixed up between the two. To set the record straight, I did call U.S. Soccer Sporting Director Ernie Stewart on December 11th, just after the news broke that Greg had made negative statements about my son Gio at a leadership conference. I have known Ernie for years and consider him to be a close friend. I wanted to let him know that I was absolutely outraged and devastated that Gio had been put in such a terrible position and that I felt very personally betrayed by the actions of someone my family had considered a friend for decades. As part of that conversation, I told Ernie that I thought it was especially unfair that Gio, who had apologised for acting immaturely about his playing time, was still being dragged through the mud when Greg had asked for and received forgiveness for something doing for doing something so much worse at the same age. And I mean, she goes in here, without going into detail, the statements from yesterday significantly minimised the abuse on the night in question. Um, Rosalind Bearhalter was my roommate, teammate and best friend, and I supported her through the trauma that followed. It took a long time, a long time for me to forgive and accept Greg afterward, but I worked hard to give him grace and I ultimately made both of them and their kids a huge part of my family's life, I would have wanted and expected him to give the same grace to Gio. This is why the current situation is so very hurtful and hard. I mean, like, that, that to me is, that's, a, that's delusional stuff there. To, to, to equate your son, a, a footballing decision for your son not, like, a, basically Greg's job, you know, now, the hurtful comments, like, I understand that. I thought um, I thought Bearhalter was completely wrong to do what he did at that business leadership conference. It should never have happened. But equally, it's still not a reason to weaponize something from 30 years ago, you know, that your best, one of your best friends had confided in you about, had talked to you about. It's just... And I mean, what did she think was going to happen? At the time I called Ernie, she says, uh, many people were trashing Gio on social media due to Greg's comments, and I didn't know when or if this would stop. I just wanted Ernie to help make sure that there would be no further unwarranted attacks on my son. I thought our conversation would remain in confidence, and it, had, and it didn't occur to me at, at, that anything I said could lead to an investigation. I'm not criticizing Ernie here. Like, like, the, and I mean, in 2022, with all we've gone through in American soccer just recently in terms of, of reports and, you know, like the, the horror of what went on for some players in NWSL, she couldn't possibly have thought that this, that saying this to a director of US soccer would not cause him alarm and then to, to authorize an investigation. Like the thing that went through Ernie Stewart's mind when he's hearing those words is immediately, I have got to, I have to act on this. Can't because the last thing, the rug. yeah, 
can't sweep it under the rug. Last thing he wants is Jeremy Shap saying his voice and outside the lines a year later as all this is revealed. Like, so she, like this, it, I can't believe it wasn't calculated to hurt. Yeah, I can't either. Now, a couple things off of what you just said there and some of her, her statement. The first thing that I, I think it is, I think there is one important distinction to make. Um, you know, a lot of people, like I, I even said before at the start of this podcast that the the first domino to fall here to cause the ripple effect of, of everything that happened subsequently was Gio Reyna's playing time situation. However, it is important to note that that is not, as far as we know, that is not the reason that the Reynas went crazy and, okay. and and made this public. It was not like they might have been mad. You know, well, we Claudio, know Reyna, Claudio Reyna maybe was being talked off the ledge by Eric Winalda, but you know, up to that point, they were just like many of us would be, mad parents that they they felt their son was being mistreated in some way. But up to that point, it stopped there. So it, it only. It only took. It only went to the next level when yeah. Greg Bearhalter publicly, like I said, I don't think he knew that these comments that he was making were going to go public. But that is na- that's naivety on a on almost an alarming level. You know, when he made his comments that dragged Gio Reyna through the mud. You know, a situation that was hugely embarrassing for Gio Reyna. That was probably the worst moment of his professional life, without question. Why did that need to be dredged back up? And so a Reina family that was already beside themselves with rage, that somebody who they thought was a close friend of theirs and Greg Bearhalter, they felt had already wronged their son in the way he was treated at this World Cup, nearly sent him home, didn't play him, they didn't know why he wasn't playing. So you have to put yourself in that position. They're already furious. Then when the situation is finally over, okay, he's going back to his club, the World Cup's over, you know, this is just a bad chapter in our lives, we move on, you'll get better from this. Then the, that's, that very same manager who preaches keeping things in-house, he's yep. going to go and say this, he's going he's gonna to be the one who says this? So, like, there is, you know, again, it is not excusing the level that this was taken to in bringing back this memory from 1991, but I can see why the Reina family was in a moment of such rage that they acted irrationally. I mean, I, I, I can, I suppose uh, I, I can, I can see that. I, you're, look, you're right. And uh, I mean, uh, the statement is Danielle Reyna's statement says, you know, that she wants to be very clear that I did not ask for Greg to be fired. I did not make any threats and I don't know anything about any blackmail attempts, nor have I ever had any discussion about anyone else on Greg's staff. I don't know any of the other coaches. I did not communicate with anyone in U.S. soccer about this matter before December 11th. And no one else in my family has made any statements to U.S. soccer regarding Greg's past at all. Um, so, like, I, I agree with what you're saying, but, like, I couldn't get away all day when I thought about this, about the fact that there's just no, there's no justification for doing for dredging this up or, or, you know, using, weaponizing the trauma of Rosalind Bearhalter. Like even, even like we've had, I think we're completely on the same page about, about this business leadership nonsense that, that Greg went and did and, and was grossly naive to think that nobody wouldn't be able to piece things together. As it's to a mistake he, he'll have to live with the rest of his life. 100%. And it, it, it was the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of their rage. But I tried today because so many people are going in on, on, on the Reynas and, 
I can understand that too. I tried today to understand what may drive someone to to press that to take that nuclear option, like that that really just serious decision to to even mention anything to to Ernie Stewart in that manner. Um, and I the first thing I thought was, and stop me at any point here. The first thing I really the sense I get from from a lot of this and something that struck me about this whole thing is how everyone in US soccer knows everyone else and many of them on a very personal level. Mm. So I tried to think like even in the statement Rosalind goes, Ernie's been a friend for many years or whatever way she said it. I'm like, Brian I'm sure they know Brian McBride as well. Of um, course, Claudio's teammate. It's just so interlinked. So so maybe when she was venting, what she said to Ernie, she she may have may have thought, well, it was just in the fog of rage. I said this. I didn't. I didn't. I did not expressly. Uh, there was no real intent for me to say this to drop this bomb deliberately. But I, like even that one, I can't buy it. Like I, I tossed it around. So I thought about other things, and um. I was reminded then, and I read it again this evening, of a piece by our late friend Grant Wall where he visited with the Reina family just prior to Gio's departure in 2018 to Borussia Dortmund. And there, like, there's one thing from, from, doing, from being involved in therapy. Um, there's one thing that, that comes across is that so much of the way we act in our lives and often in the hurtful and damaging things that we do, it's driven by pain and the pain comes from somewhere. And reading through that piece, the, you know, the, the striking thing was this link between the Reina's, uh, the untimely death of their, of their son Jack and his connection to Gio and, and how close they were. And not only that, but how important and linked and interlinked the Reynas still believe Jack and Gio to be and how um, how Jack's life, short though it was, really influenced his brother. I'm just going to read you a couple of things from that. This is Claudio speaking. That's what carried Gio, what launched him. He played with Jack. He fought with him. Jack would go and goal and let him shoot. Not always let him win though, that's for sure. And Gio fought and fought. And that's why he played. That's who he wanted to be. He idolized and worshipped Jack. The one who made him what he is today, his talent was really Jack. It's hard for us, in, uh, Claudio says in between sobs. We do bring up Jack to Gio. We talk about Jack all the time, but we don't want to push it on him. Sometimes we say, your brother is with you. And that day, there was no doubt. He's referring to a game, a youth game in Rosario, Argentina, where Gio just was amazing. The next day was Jack's birthday. The whole game, Gio, was ridiculous. You don't know how your kid is going to do. And he had such an amazing game. And I would urge people to go back and read that piece. And just, it's incredibly touching and moving. But, but the, the, con- the connection between these two brothers um, is something that's so strongly felt by their parents. And in this place of, of, of pain and anguish, and then seeing their son... Um, talked about publicly in that manner and maybe they thought shamed in that manner for his behaviour at the World Cup 
that's the place mm-hmm. that Daniel, Daniel Reyna went to. And it's not just about the pain of what's happened to Gio. It's the pain that she still conti- continues to feel for the son that she lost. I, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm glad that you brought it up. If you didn't, I was going to like, that is to me, that is part of this. Like I have no idea what losing a child does to a family dynamic, what it does to the bonds that parents have with, with their other children. You know, I, you know, I don't know. And I, I obviously hope to never know. Um, it's, it's a parent's worst nightmare. Um, and I think what you, what you read there from Grant's piece is, I mean, it's, it's prescient and, you know, it's, I think it is, it is part of this in some way. Um, and it just, again, it just adds another, another layer of sadness to, to this story. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and again, I'm not like, neither of us are trying to justify what, what, what's happened. I, and if you take a dim view of what's gone down and the rain is part in this, I, I totally understand that, but it's kind of no harm to try and try and figure out why you would do something like that to people that you loved. Yeah. And I think that it also, again, like, I, I, you know, there's a lot of, oh, just another classic example of the angry American soccer dad. You know, yeah. Th- I mean, at, at at its core, sure. I think that is part of what's going on here. You know, you've seen it on sidelines of oh youth my games. God. You know, so it exists, certainly. But I do think that that's like a, that's a little base in this. Yeah. I do think that there are, there's more to this than just something as simple as a, a a dad throwing a tantrum, a mom throwing a tantrum. I think that there are, there are layers to this. Um, like I said, you know, we've, we've kind of said this before, sometimes jokingly, but it's, it's the people who love that you love the most who will disappoint you the most. And so I think that, you know, there, there has to also be a part of this where Greg Berhalter was such a good friend of theirs. You know, they were so close with that family. They've shared so many experiences. I'm sure, when when the Reynas lost their son, I'm sure the Bearhalters were people that they were close with in that time, right. and I'm sure that there was shared experiences there that, you know, that were very powerful and meaningful. Um, and so when Greg became the manager, you know, there's there's quotes from Claudio praising the the hire at the time in a moment when that was not always the popular position to take. Oh, um, so I'm sure the Reynas always thought, well, this is a dream. I mean, now we have this guy who's almost like an uncle. Uh, to Gio, you know, like he's going to manage him now on, on an international level. They probably thought that this is just the perfect scenario. And so for things to then go sideways the way that they did, it probably it hurts double than if it was just, you know, than if it was Oscar Pereja or, you know, some some just kind of yeah. random manager. Um, you know, it hurts that much more because this is a person that they're close with um, that, you know, cares about their children. He's he's saying these things publicly about our son. What? This is a person that we're supposed to be close with. It hurts even more. Yeah, um, and, and and look at the words, you know, uh, personally betrayed. Um, I mean, there's another side to this too, in that Gio Reyna is young, but he's a professional footballer. You know, he goes out as an adult in front of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people every week and performs. Um, like, at, at, there is a point at which parents, especially with athletes, I think, have to uh, 
they don't have to withdraw their support. They don't have to withdraw um, their encouragement. They don't have to, but they do have to withdraw. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and and it doesn't seem like the Reinas have done that at all. And uh, like another thought I've had all day is where, wh- like, what does Geo think of all of this? I mean, I, I was wondering that too. Look, it's it's unanswerable. You know, only people in his inner circle know what he's feeling. Um, I would I would like to think that his parents wouldn't have done something like this without running it by him. You know, no. the the consequences of this obviously will have an impact on him. Of course, he'll be you know he's part of this. I mean, he comes off look like I said, no one looks good here. He, how petulant does he look right now? You know, the typical coddled American soccer player. Yeah. You know, with you know, like it's he looks awful here. Um, you know, everyone does. So I don't know. I mean, there might be part of him that is thinking, God, I wish this had never happened. I just want this story to go away. Why did this, you know, enough? I wish my parents hadn't taken it to this level. It, it doesn't need to be like this. this is going to impact my future. Or he might be, you know, I don't know. He might be like, yeah, get him. He deserves this for what he did to me. I have no clue. I have I, no I, clue. I, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's just, it does not look good for him. Like he is... I don't know. He's doing so many things that that scream, grown up, adult, his his occupation. Like yeah. this is too much. This this level of parental involvement is is not healthy. And I understand. Like again, I've kind of laid out why I think they want to protect him. So, but like this is, I th- what was wrong with his statement? I thought his statement on Instagram on December. 11th or was it December 12th, the day after? Mm. I thought it was really good and really strong and pointed in its own way, you know, where he he threw, uh, at one point in the statement, he threw Greg Berhalter's uh, leadership stuff about about things staying in-house. Yeah. You know, back at him in a very, very calm way. But but he made his point and he, he wanted to move on. And like that... The, he should have the agency ultimately in this. You know, there's there's so many examples, especially from my culture in in Ireland, of, of parents not knowing when 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 it's over. And um, when your kid's a professional footballer, in the eyes of the world, in the in the public sphere, it's over. You've got to. You can do what you want privately. You can support what you want privately. You, but you you can't go to this place. No. You can't do these things. No, whining to the heads of U.S. soccer over your son's oh playing God. time. I mean, come on. Like this is this is intramural stuff. This is youth level stuff. Like this, maybe it goes on more than we realize. It probably does. But oh, look, we know lots of examples. Um, lots and lots of examples where 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 fathers. Uh, I mean, uh, Jorge uh, Jorge Messi. <laughs> His ability to intervene on his son's behalf when it comes to cash is, you know, pretty, pretty extraordinary. And um, uh, who is it? Adrian Rabio's mother rowing in the stands with other people. You know, there's that kind of behavior. But this feels like a this feels like a. it doesn't feel like it. It is a step beyond. And um, if there's one if there's one meme I'd love to kill and I call it a meme because every single or not every single, but far too many U.S. soccer fans on Twitter are sending it out. Oh, with, with an argument like this, we have now arrived among the nations of soccer. Like, like as if the you know, 
Now I get it. It's a joke. <laughs> We've Fire arrived. We've oh, ar- thank goodness. We're right there now with Benzema blackmailing a teammate over a sex tape. Thank God we've arrived as a as a true soccer nation. I've seen that today, too. What? Yeah. Really? No. That's what it takes? Yeah, I know. And people people are trying to be funny and, and yeah. you know, in that way that, that people are on Twitter. But um, this is uh, not what you want. So let me ask you a question. So I've been... I've been thinking about the the term blackmail. Oh God! Do I, I mean my girlfriend's a lawyer? I'm not. You want to put the headphones on her right now? I'll talk to her if if, if you're afraid. Um, I mean she's in bed. It wouldn't be right. All right. Plus, so, plus Andrew, the cost of this podcast would go up by three hundred dollars. Well, let me just like let me read you the definition of blackmail. Like like any good wedding speech. It became, Webster's, Webster's defines. Dictionary defines love as, well, as any good podcast begins, JJ, uh, dictionary.com <laughs> defines blackmail as uh, the action treated as a criminal offense of demanding payment or another benefit from someone in return for not revealing, compromising, or damaging information about them. So here's where my confusion over the situation starts to run wild. And my, I guess my imagination starts to run wild along with it. So obviously the Reinas in their statements um, have explicitly stated that no blackmail occurred, that essentially all they did was vent to the powers that be within U.S. soccer. Yes. Now, okay, I'm supposed to believe that, but then someone needs to answer this question for me. Why then, in the name of God, did Greg Berhalter go public with this story? What could have possibly caused him to do that if all that happened was that the Reinas vented their frustration and anger to Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride? That, in and of itself is nowhere near enough of a reason for Greg Berhalter then, to then come out publicly and bring these events back to the forefront. Because he knew he was subject of an investigation, an investigation that would get out at some point, and he was getting ahead of, of, of the story. That's why. Like, there's there's an ongoing investigation into into U.S. men's national team Greg co- coach Greg Berhalter. That was getting out, Andrew. But JJ, he used the word blackmail. He didn't right. say an investigation is occurring into an event that occurred back in 1991. I'm sorry that this has happened, but this has been brought back, and I need to. He he explicitly accused someone of a crime. Well, that's Extortion. true. During during the World Cup, this this is from his his statement. During the World Cup, an individual contacted U.S. Soccer, saying that they had information about me that would take me down. An apparent effort to leverage something from very personal from long ago to bring about the end of my relationship with U.S. Soccer. This is a difficult step to take, but my wife, Rosalind, and I want to clear, uh, clearly and directly share the truth. Yeah, right. So, so okay. Um, and the U.S. soccer statement said that members of staff, in, in the course of their investigation, they discovered that members of staff had been treated uh, subject to inappropriate behavior by people outside of U.S. soccer. So... I, I don't know. Um, I can't fill that vacuum for you, Andrew. Like, to me, blackmail would be, you know, Danielle 
Reyna going to Greg Berhalter and saying, look, I know the events of 1991. I know what happened. And I know what you just did to my son publicly. You step down tomorrow as manager of this team, or I go public, I go to the media, or I go to Ernie Stewart. You know, that is like a a tit for tat, you do this or else, right? Like, it, uh, I, well, I don't get the sense that that happened here. Um, Bearhalter has written in quotation marks, take me down. I mean, I guess that is, I guess that is what happened, but does that constitute blackmail? I don't know, Andrew. I don't, not to me. I, I don't think so. Now, if, you know, could it be defamation of character? Well, I guess not, because it's the truth, right? It is a, it's a thing that did happen. I mean, I suppose yeah. it could, I suppose it can take him down, but, you know, just because she goes to someone's boss and tells them this, yeah, I mean, that it could cost you your job, I suppose, but does that mean that she committed a crime in doing that? I guess legal. I guess this is a thing that legal minds will have to decide, and I am not one. Yeah, and there's also this investigation. I mean, this this is going to, according to the statement from U.S. Soccer, include some of these details. Um. So, this isn't over, by the way. There oh, will no. be. <laughs> there will be. No. There there will be more to come. By the way, I mean, well, we can get into this now. You say this isn't over. It's still on the table that he'll continue to manage this team. I mean, U.S. Well, soccer, this investigation is going on. Ernie Stewart spoke. Uh, he he did have a, a virtual press conference, um, and he said that, you know, this does not necessarily mean that, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but this does not necessarily mean that Greg Berhalter cannot be the manager of this team going forward. Everything is being reviewed. Um, I guess now we know why, you know, everyone who was complaining about the, the secrecy around this, why hasn't U.S. soccer spoken? Well, now, I get, now you know there's been, a, there's been a lot going on here that they're trying to review more than just performance on the field. Uh, so, you know, I mean, look, you want to get into what happens next in terms of how this, how this, I'll say this about Greg Berhalter. I don't, I don't see a way forward for him with U.S. soccer. I don't see it. I don't think it's possible. You know, I've been thinking about things, JJ, where, you know, like, I'm not saying the manager or a coach of a team has to have a squeaky clean reputation. They don't. You know, I'm sure these guys, you know, they partied. Some of them probably have their own skeletons. Certain players may know about those things. You know, who knows? I get it. But, like, you know, I think about stuff like Greg Berhalter disciplining Weston McKinney. Can you do that stuff? Like, can you continue to to have the your team's respect if they now know this about your past? Like, I I know this happened in 1991, and I know everyone is entitled in some way to to make mistakes. You know, that's that's a part of growing up. We make mistakes, but like, there are degrees of mistakes. Uh, what Bearhalter did rises to a pretty serious level, and you know. For whatever the for whoever he is now as a human being, it's like for me as a fan, it's going to be hard for me to separate this incident from what I think of Greg Bearhalter. Yeah, you know, he like that is part of the damage of of 
Danielle Reyna coming out here that that they did achieve is that people people will probably look at him differently. You know, this is we all know this now. We all know that he did this thing now, and it's a it's a disgusting thing that he did. Players on his team are going to know that. Some of them will continue to be disgusted by it. Is he going to be able to discipline them the same way? Like, is he going to have the respect of the room when certain guys will will never be able to separate him from that act? I don't know. It's going to be different from one player to the next, but it just feels it feels to me like bringing him back now is you're you're kind of throwing all the ingredients in there to create a toxic situation. And I think you know if if it was close before, it's not like he had just taken them to the semifinals and everyone was behind him. It was on the it was on the fence as to whether or not he'd be coming back. I mean, to me, like this is now part of the equation. And it tips the scales for me in a certain direction. I just don't know how they can go forward with them. Yeah, uh, Kyle Bonagora was on Outside the Lines on ESPN uh, with Jeremy Chap and Taylor Twelman discussing just this very point. Let's have a listen. Yeah, it's messy, right? There's no, there's no clean way to say that. They've been, you know, since the de- December 11th call took place, they, you know, hired an outside law firm to handle uh, the investigation from an independent standpoint. That process is still ongoing. You know, prior to the allegation being made on December 11th, you know, sources told Jeff Carlisle that Greg Berhalter was on his way to possibly being renewed as the U.S. men's national team head coach. Mm. Those talks broke down after the allegation um, surfaced. Uh, his contract, as you said at the, at the top, expired on December 31st. U.S. Soccer announced just a few minutes ago that Anthony Hudson would take over the team on an interim basis for the January camp. That's a process that they had kind of been working on and had in place weeks just as a matter of uh, just to have it prepared right and so what does this mean for Greg Berhalter and and U.S. Soccer well it it seems unlikely now that he would be renewed as the head coach that's still theoretically possible I don't think anyone is expecting that that to take place you got to wonder now okay what does this mean for Greg Berhalter's career what does this mean for Claudio Reyna's career remember too that this is a, a man who is the sporting director at an MLS club Austin FC, which is coming off an incredibly um, good season in their in their second year, his head coach Josh Wolf was a former assistant for Burhalter. So these things are so intertwined, and we're really going to have to wait and see kind of how it plays out over the next few days and weeks. Yeah, it, it it sounds from that like it's it's unlikely we'll see Greg again. I think the totality of everything that's happened, Andrew. I think it's not just that incident. However, you view it from nineteen ninety one. Um, a lot of our listeners were very quick to say, oh, it's 30 years ago. It's in the past. It's blah. That is it's true. Not, but to it, us, it's, not, it's, it's but to us, people who are just finding out it's new, fresh information. It's not in the past. And, and, and we also know that this is U.S. soccer is an organization that that from the recent revelations that I mentioned before surrounding NWSL, the way things were handled. It's it's got to be better with the way it handles. um you know the way it treats women the way women are treated within the organization within the leagues over which it it uh it has control um so like that that makes it very very difficult uh, regardless of how long ago it was but 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 just outside of that just the totality of like i was saying that everything together like the 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 problems in camp with uh with Reina, then the, the the lack of judgment on the leadership conference talk, and the fact he's going to do another one tomorrow. I mean, it like is he on? Is, is he going to talk about this? 
Like, surely, I mean, how surely, could, if how I, could he if, not address how, this? Well, yeah, I mean, how I wasn't actually a great leader, or how my leadership was questioned during camp, or like, it's going to. I just, he has to speak about it. But just everything with him now, Andrew, it just all feels just a bit much and maybe now is a good juncture to cut ties. I'll go back to Mick McCarthy after the Saipan incident, after the World Cup in 2002. Ireland had a generally okay World Cup. Like they went, it was generally seen as a success, I would say. They went out in penalties to Spain in the second round. But everything that happened with Roy Keane. So the country was split he's given the contract to manage the team for the European Championships the first game I think against Switzerland at home and then Russia away Switzerland at home just the atmosphere Andrew sometimes things get to a critical mass and it doesn't mean that Bearhalter is a bad guy or a dangerous person to be hired by US soccer but there's just an avalanche of crap now and it's easier to start again rather than let this go on yeah now the the unfortunate part of that is that, like, I guess to a certain extent, then, you know, if this was some act of just you know angry parents, like the, then they win, like is that I don't know, like, then U.S. soccer has to give in to that in some ways, which is not necessarily the outcome you want, especially in a situation like this where this incident that occurred, you know, like if that if the woman involved was able to forgive, then eventually marry this man, you know, have a family together. Yeah. Then like, who are we all to, to judge? Right. You know, that's, like it's, it's their life. That's know. true too. But again, um, us soccer is not me and you. It's not Johnny on the street that works in the bar or works in the bank who can say, you know what? Forgive and forget. They look like they got on well. The, you know, they're, they're, we've heard nothing. There was just this one incident. He got counseling. They have four kids. You know, that's it. Uh, you know, Asalu. It doesn't work like that when you're U.S. soccer. You know, a public-facing organization that is invo- that just has, you know, the care, the duty of care for so many soccer players in America, millions. Like, it just it can't be like that. They have to look at it with a much... Um, colder light and sterner view. And they have to think about their own protection and how they'll be viewed by, by other people. And that may mean that cutting ties with Greg Berhalter is not just the... not not the right thing to do, but the easiest thing to do as well. Well, and then there's there's the Gio Reyna side of this too. I mean, look, I don't know if it, if it's a decision as simple as do, who do we choose here, the coach or the player? Um, but like, if that is part of the decision-making process, well, like, you know, Gio Reyna is viewed as an extremely important piece to U.S. soccer moving forward. He's an incredibly talented player playing at an elite level in in Europe. Um, like, I, is there a, like he's going to continue to be a part of U.S. soccer? I don't think this is going to go the way of Kareem Benzema, where he goes on some kind of you know where he he's banned from the team for, you know, five, six years, whatever, and then eventually welcome back when time eventually heals these wounds. Like, I don't see that happening. I think at the next Gold Cup, Gio Reyna will be there. If there's Copa America, Gio Reyna will be there. I mean, JJ, can you possibly envision a world 
where Gio Reyna continues to be a part of this team and Greg Berhalter continues to be his manager? No. No. I can't see it. No. And like, what do we always say? Easy. Replacing the manager is is replacing one person. You don't get to replace the team. You certainly don't get to replace a player who, like we've said a million times, we don't really have anyone who does the things he does. And so, again, what is the... What is the most sensible and easiest option here? Again, springs to mind. Um, I should I should make a point. Just, again, uh, though, it's just unfortunate because you feel like, and it's not that, you know, but you feel like the the guy who acted petulantly, whose whose parents went and complained, you know, it's like if you have a teacher, you know that that you don't like the way they're treating you, and and mommy and daddy go to the principal and get that teacher in trouble. Now that teacher has to treat you better, like, you know, be, go easier on you. I don't know. Like, is that always the right? Is No. Is it I, right for that, for that kid to win? I, that, like Rain is going to win. Here. I mean, how does he win though? Really? I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot of managers like, do I want this guy? Sounds like a bit of hassle. Even before the, his parents got involved, it sounds like sure. a hassle. Now I want to add them in as well. Um, and the other side to it is the, Maybe the next manager, probably the next manager, does not have the relationship that the Greg Berhalter had with uh, with the Rainers. I Again, I, I come back to this thing. I, incestuous isn't the correct word, but the small family pool of U.S. soccer from whom everyone gets a job, it's, it's problematic. U.S. soccer's structures and the people they employ, you go back from the very minute... With Jay Bearhalter being an executive when his during the hiring process process, by the way, it doesn't seem yeah. anyone else was interviewed for Greg Bearhalter to to the very end where the you know the the, the star players outbursts in training then precipitates this uh, this kind of domino effect that ends up with his parents revealing information that they only could have known. Them and a few other people to take him down. This is, and also that Claudio Reyna, I know he's a player and, or he's a, excuse me, an executive at Austin. So he probably may have access to people in U.S. soccer. It's not that strange or weird, but I'm sure other people outside of the U.S. soccer bubble have that too. But, you know, he's venting his frustrations about the manager to the hierarchy of U.S. soccer during the tournament. I honestly think we, we need a whole bunch of, of administrators who have nothing to do with anybody or have never kicked a ball in, in U.S. soccer, either at the collegiate or the uh, international level, and just start again. Do we, we need cold-hearted, like, German administrators, you know? <laughs> Guys with thick ring bla- glasses and, and just, like, who do everything by the rule book and have no relation to U.S. soccer and just run the bloody thing. Yogi Lo. Why not? Um, we could use Jonathan Tan- Tannenwald, there was a... It's worth noting there was that... Um, conference call um tonight uh cindy conan when the investigation will slash should conclude we don't know because it is completely independent but obviously we need to speed this along so we want to move quickly but not rush cindy cohen we don't have all the facts yet from the bearhalter investigation that's another thing that we sh- we need to factor into is continuing the anything discussion about his continuing employment is whatever the the legal investigators find surrounding this situation and anything else that comes to light that may positively or negatively impact 
um, his re-employment with U.S. soccer. It's uh, a buddy of mine, JJ, as all this was unfolding, he texted me um, and just kind of jokingly said Mourinho for USMNT. And like, I thought about that. And I was like, it's so Jesus. funny because like, you know, seemingly, obviously we're learning more and more by the day, but like seemingly Greg Bearhalter has always struck me as a pretty mild mannered, mm. low key guy. Maybe that's a false perception, but that's, that's at least the perception that I think most fans kind of had of him. And it's just so funny. Like this Greg Bearhalter, this kind of random dude, like, like going from him to Mourinho would be just like such a huge lessening of the temperature right now. A lessening of the drama. Bearhalter to Mourinho. Like that's that's where things are at right now. I um I was listening to a podcast a few months ago, and I think it was Bernard Jackman, who was an ex Irish rugby player. And he said he was being he was talking about differences between the the locker room or management in rugby in Ireland and rugby in France. And he said in France that it's a thing to cause a row. Sometimes when things aren't clicking, they cause a row in the locker room. Deliberate row to get things going. Hmm. Now, that's the Mourinho way. <laughs> like, right. like, he wouldn't shy away from Gio Reyna. He would welcome an explosion of some sort. Like, I guess there's some kind of, I don't know what it is, is it uh, togetherness through conflict. <laughs> Approach well, like, the Her, like the Herb Brooks model with the 1980 U.S. hockey team was that was that it? I, I I'm well, not. Well, his familiar. whole I, his whole thing was he had players from all different co universities that were arch rivals with each other. They hated each other, so he needed to create a new enemy. So he he basically rearranged the deck so they would all hate him instead of instead of hating each other. That was right. his approach. I think Bill uh, Parcells had that a little bit with the Giants. Maybe. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I mean we're we're going off topic here. Yeah, it's it's a particularly sad mess, Andrew. And um, I don't I don't know what else to say really at this point. So here here's my last question. This is probably I mean look we're dealing with like a lot of real life serious stuff. Like I feel like a lot of these thoughts I I have to like be careful with with what I'm thinking, what I'm saying. But like the, I guess you know the more trivial side of this. So this World Cup that just happened that we've been waiting all these years for that we were so excited about, like, what does it even mean anymore? <laughs> like, this, Nothing. this is the memory now of the 2022 World Cup. Like, the U.S. did well. Pulisic's goal against Iran will always be a great memory for American soccer fans. But, like, they didn't outplay this controversy. Like, this no. will always be the lasting memory from this World Cup. Not you're, anything that happened on the field. Look, you're, look you're, you really need Bill and Ted to get into the time machine, grab Pulisic and a couple of the guys, get them back and score a hat-trick in the second half against, plus Hadji Wright's goal in the second half against uh, Holland and, and have a win there. To, to You're right. There, there, was, there was no outkick in this, this controversy. No. You, American soccer has had its Saipan moment. This is yours. Now, Roy Keane is like, Gio is not at Roy Keane's level. He wasn't captain. I get that. But no one talks about Ireland's tie with Cameroon anymore. Occasionally, they talk about Robbie Keane's late equaliser against Germany. The third group game never mentioned. And the Spain game, occasionally. 
I'm telling you, it's Saipan, 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 what happened on that island. And this is all you're going to... Forget Pulisic's contusion goal against Iran. It's, it's gone. That's so sad. That's so unfortunate. Sorry, like Landon true. Donovan not being brought in 2014, like no one really talks about it. Like People obviously remembered it. it's a huge deal, but the team played well. And like they advanced out of the group. Like they had dramatic wins. They had, you know, memorable moments along the way that kind of like you didn't like you forget about that. Like when I think of that 2014 World Cup, I think of Dempsey scoring in 30 seconds against Ghana. John Brooks is winner in that game, the, the thrilling 2-2 against Portugal. I don't think like, boy, if Donovan were there, you know, that's like, that's just not the way it is. This though, this dwarfs everything now. This this is huge. This is one of the biggest scandals, not just in American soccer, but American sports. Like I'm thinking of like, you know, Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding type stuff when I think I about this. Uh, final, My final point, and again, uh, I, I've hammered this point throughout the podcast, but I will one more time. Somebody tweeted it. I I. Thank them for it. Can't remember who they are. All credit to who you, whoever you were. Uh, U.S. soccer hasn't had a manager outside of New York or New Jersey since, um, I guess, Klinsman is the only one in 25 well, was... years. Okay. Oh, so you mean over the course of that time frame, Klinsman's the only one from, yeah. from, yeah. I guess that's true. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, don't I don't know either, but I I do I do think it speaks to my point already about the kind of very to. insular nature. We need to expand this thing. We shake we things up to. a little bit. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm well, not, and, and, and that doesn't mean bring in uh, the latest Doctor Joseph Venglash from Czechoslovakia who comes in and wants to do everything the European way. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying maybe we need to look at this. <laughs> And they will, and they most definitely will. Um, boy, this is let's, this is unbelievable let, stuff. This is this is why you get into sports journalism, isn't it, JJ? <laughs> to talk about these kinds of things, huh? Let's now segue into the football we barely watched today because of this debacle. There was interesting soccer today, but like, if you were going to watch it on your phone, you couldn't because like, twi- I'm sorry, Twitter was just more interesting today than actual soccer. It just, it just was. And the only thing I'm I gonna, could think about. I was so distracted all day with this, with this controversy. Yeah, to the point that I missed Brendan Aronson's mistake yeah. uh, that gave the go-ahead goal to West Ham just after halftime, 20 Ooh. seconds after halftime, I believe. So now I'm going to actually watch it in real time while you talk. This is what you've done to us, U.S. soccer. Just such a weird juxtaposition of these last two days for American soccer. Like... The you know yesterday you had like Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson were brilliant. Um, what was it, JJ? In the old firm derby, uh, Tillman, Carter Vickers both had big games. Like it was just like one of those you know kind of a, a somewhat of a banner day for Americans abroad playing in Europe. Guys who had you know a lot of big performances. Um, Daryl DK scored again yep. um, at West Brom. You know it was one of those kind of like one of those big days. Uh, and then a day later, it's like, you know, the Aronson mistake. You've got this chaos unfolding in, in the halls of American soccer power. Um, just like, God, this the, the whiplash of being an, a, a U.S. soccer fan. It's madness. Like, you can't keep up. I, I, I will say that it, it was good to watch uh, 
I mean, half watch to Tyler Adams get around the field again. Like he is to say he's big for Leeds United is is an understatement. And and I allowed my mind to wander and think that the, his next port of call, depending on how things go, might be Liverpool. Because in terms of the energy, the ability to press, get on the ball, like this is kind of what they need. Yeah, and yeah, hundred um, percent. He was he was really really good. Uh, just on Leeds, um, while we're at it defensively like they'll ha- the the urgent need for them to do something is is so big there and it does hamstring what I'm not giving him a pass what Jesse Marsh is trying to do but it it really does hurt him that the defense is just not what it needs to be they're patched up at left back uh, strike give away the penalty just by just a lapse in concentration in the box not and not being aware or anticipating that Jared Bowen was trying to nick in and take the ball away. And, um, and I'm like, even in the striker position, you know, I know Rodrigo scored the equalizer, but missed chances earlier on. They're, they're, they're blunt up front. Bamford continues to be injured. Uh, I, um, if we were doing, you worry for him. I still worry strongly for, uh, for Jesse Marsh and, and David Moyes on the other side as well tonight. Um, uh, although I do think West Ham will take more from that point than Leeds will, because I think Leeds will look at that and think that was an opportunity lost at home against a team that's not really in good form. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, you know, with Leeds, it's interesting. The, the Bamford thing, in our in our uh, season preview, we always do that one question of player who needs to have a big season. Uh, and kind of somewhat weirdly at the time, but he was mine. Yeah. Um, and I and I think about that now, and I think it really. I think I was right. Like I think it's true. You know, they lost Rafinha. Rodrigo. Um, he, he's a good player. He's having a really good season. But it does feel like that. You know, they're missing something. And I think if they had a healthy version of him, the Bamford that we saw, you know, two seasons ago, I think they're a different team. But just, I mean, that guy. Where is where is that guy? Just watch the Aronson mistake. I mean, it's a shot from outside the box. It's not. It's, it's not a good giveaway in a good position, but. Equally, it shouldn't automatically end up in the back of the net, um, no. to be fair to him. No. Yeah, there was still a lot of work to be done, but he put his team in a bad position. Definitely. Um, 100%. No excuses here. Yeah. Um, West Ham co-owner David Gold dying at the age of 86, Andrew. Yeah. I, 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 after a short illness, I, I hadn't known he was, he was ill. Uh, no, neither did I. Um, I guess, I don't know, it's, a, it's an interesting legacy that he leaves behind. You know, West Ham fans, I'm sure will they'll mourn this. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of good days under his uh, his ownership of this team. Um, well, but... he was an East he was an East Ender. He was an East End boy. Um, I remember watching a thing on Sky Sports when they bought the club, and how emotionally he got. He went back to his old home where he grew up before he became this successful millionaire, and he got he got very emotional talking about the area, the community in West Ham. Um, now, if you talk to Birmingham City supporters about uh, Gold Sullivan and, and Karen Brady's time looking after Birmingham City, they may not be quite so mournful at his passing. Football fans have a long, uh, long, long memories. And um, apparently from from some of the Birmingham City, I remember the time that West Ham were bought, Birmingham City, some Birmingham City fans were like, this this might not go on so well. Popularity. We see. We saw in stadium protests, Andrew, for a few years there. People getting onto the field. It certainly wasn't all roses. And last season did a lot 
I suppose to to help kind of cleanse that relationship a little bit. Sure, um, making a deep run in Europe. Yeah, I mean the run in Europe was was I mean unprecedented in the modern history of West Ham. You have to go back a long way to the sixties before they did anything close to that. And um and I, they tailed away in the Champions League race, which they were in up until let's say February, January, February direction, but yeah. Um Which by the way, like those things should not be understated. Like for, for where West Ham have found themselves in the not so distant past for them to have been competing for a Champions League place without really having shelled out a ton of money, you know, to have gotten there. Um, that's that's really impressive. That speaks to the recruitment of that club. It speaks to their choice of manager, who I know finds himself on the hot seat right now. But there have been some really good days at that club uh, in the last couple seasons, and that was you know that was a thing not so long ago that was hard to envision there. I think so, their best their their best move was actually to reappoint David Moyes, which was greeted as just another betrayal. Uh, by the fans um, of 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 this board, bringing bringing back a guy who wasn't popular the first time, really, and then Moyes goes on to do do a really really good job. Worth noting, they did move the club out of um, Upton Park into a stadium, um, publicly funded built stadium, by the way, which they only pay small rent on, relatively speaking, uh, and they took it out of the heartland of of where West Ham was originally. And that does not sit well with a lot of people, including the the store owners and the pie and mash shop owners in that region and, and the businesses that thrived because Upton Park was where it was. So, yeah, mixed legacy for anybody, but obviously we're sorry for the death or passing of, of anybody, re- regardless of what they did in football. Jacob Steinberg of The Guardian, who's also, a, I suppose, a renowned West Ham supporter, yeah. uh, he tweeted, West Ham co-owner David Gold has passed away at the age of 86, very sad news. He was an extremely nice man. Yeah, I mean, he, he said about that, that that always seemed to be the case. And uh, the only time I was really ever mad with him from the outside was when he, um, before, as as Declan Rice was an Ireland international and hadn't made his decision, uh, he spoke of him as if it was an inevitability that he was uh He spoke of him as if he already was an England international, which obviously rubbed me the wrong way. Anyway... <laughs> Um, let's see a couple other quick ones JJ yeah. Arsenal and Newcastle that was kind of uh, maybe I guess the glamour fixture of the midweek matchups um, given their places in the table and uh, they play out to uh, not super entertaining nil-nil draw a couple moments of controversy especially right at the end in the fifth minute of stoppage time um, what did the, you think I thought it was I mean look you know my my standing position on this podcast is that I no longer have an opinion of handballs because it's I don't know what is or isn't. I'll say this. This one, I thought it was. Ooh, yeah. I mean, it was shot at him so close. Does that matter? Uh, How many no. of these have we seen given? Uh, All the time. I think this is a the situation. fact he was going. The fact that he was unbalanced, going to ground a little bit. I don't maybe, but, but we've seen it before. Yeah, like, this has yeah. happened. I saw Danny Rose for Tottenham a couple years ago from like point blank range, just diving at a ball to try to block it from you know less than a foot away. Yeah, I saw it happen to Eric Dyer against Southampton a year or so, whenever that was, or against Newcastle. Matt Doherty was against Southampton. Like I've seen it happen to Tottenham numerous times with handballs that never look like them mm. to me that that get given in these exact kind of situations. I think it's a situation where, you know, referees I think are told, and I guess I like this idea. Like I think this is kind of how I want my games to be officiated, where like if you make a call on the field, 
you know, we don't necessarily want to be re-refereeing these things through VAR. We want VAR to be correcting blatantly obvious mistakes. Yeah, and it wasn't. Right. So if if it was ruled not a handball on the field, look, I thought it was, um, but I understand that the, the handball rule is there's nothing, there is no bigger gray area in sports than what is a handball in the box in soccer. So if they didn't want to re-referee it, I suppose I understand. I thought it was, uh, but I guess I can't say that I'm stunned it wasn't given. But um, I don't know. We've we've seen ones that look an awful lot like that given before. I was pretty surprised. Yeah, and just a, a note. I thought uh, early on, uh, Arsenal were getting into a flow. They were looked like they were going to not overwhelm Newcastle, but certainly. I mean, they not. had what five shots in the first six minutes. Yeah, and then Eddie Howe just went, "All right, okay, let's uh, let's tone this, uh, pull this back a bit," and then began just some like. Lots of time wasting, uh, throw throw-ins that took forever. Mikel Arteta incensed uh, Richard Keyes, uh, tweeting that something has to be done about Arteta's sideline behavior. Um, I would I would say as a as a man who's watched Jurgen Klopp for a long time, if you're going after Mikel Arteta before Jurgen Klopp for this behavior, I would um, I would caution you to rethink that. Um, but je- but um, you know Newcastle slowed the game down, made it super physical. And super tough for Arsenal. Big picture, um, there wasn't very much in the XG between Arsenal. Arsenal slightly shaded the XG over over Newcastle. I think big picture, this is a decent point. I know Arsenal fans were craving that ten point gap. That that you know, I, I get that, but I think eight points. You know, well, eight points for now. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't hate that result. Um, and you know, Newcastle are dangerous. I, I think it was a big save uh, Pope made from Martinelli, um, if my memory serves me correctly as well. So um, maybe Arsenal fans really feel that that was an opportunity lost. I I don't think that way. I think they should be okay about it. I mean, I called it the glamour fixture of of the midweek based on their placement in the table. I mean, in terms of club name and identity and brand, Manchester City and Chelsea play, I guess you're listening to this on a Thursday, later today. I mean, talk about glamour fixtures and Pep, you know, where Arsenal are at right now, it's not lost on him. Um, he he said that City will have to be, quote, almost perfect to catch the Gunners. He wanted to say they, Arsenal, are going to do 100 or more points the way they've gone so far. If they continue this way, we will not catch them. Uh, I do always enjoy this, JJ, when managers, you know, we have to be almost perfect. I mean, look. If City, granted, it's not easy going to Stamford Bridge. If City win on Thursday, it's it's a five-point gap with more than half the season to go. Like, I, I love when managers kind of, like, speak in these kinds of hyperbolic ways. Like, like Antonio Conte did it with Tottenham qualifying for Champions League. What do you call it? A miracle? Mm. Like, like they, they, you see what they're doing here. Like, they're yeah. propping themselves up. Sure. Like, that's what this is. If Manchester City overtake, you know, if they're, they're, they're back eight points with, like, 18 games to go whatever it is plus two two against arsenal two against arsenal mixed in there like you don't do you have to be almost perfect to do this probably not but he's now said that and look like you know so he can we can lean on that quote the rest of the season did antonio conte pull off a miracle no i mean no not really like it was i I wouldn't have expected it but like these guys they say these things so when they when these achievements occur they look like you know they they now look like they're even greater geniuses with what they've just done so i I see what you're doing pep yeah i gotta quickly slip this in because i've done it every podcast now since i think christmas what a job eddie howe is doing (laughs) 
you can you can now check that box for this podcast, JJ. Rule requirement. Uh, let's see, Tottenham, real quick, four uh, nil on uh, Wednesday afternoon against Crystal Palace. God, Didn't did they see that. a goal of it. Tell me about it, Andrew. Was it a fun game? Uh, the first half looked a lot like every other Tottenham first half this season, <laughs> except for the fact that they didn't concede. It was at least nil-nil heading into the locker room at halftime. Uh, so they had that going for them. But then the second half, I mean, this this kind of brought me back to the Leicester City match earlier this season where Tottenham weren't really good in the first half and then exploded. Finished with six in that game against Leicester. Today they put four over the line uh, in this one, all, all of them coming in the second half. Harry Kane. Harry Kane, uh, this is... He's unbelievable. I mean, he can he can do this. He can take a game over. That's that's his greatness. It was his 300th game. He's up to 198 goals after scoring two in this one. Just that's when you have that player on your team, sometimes that can happen. Like we always talk about with the US, you know, they don't they lack that bite in the final third because they don't have like a, a pure goal scorer. Sometimes you need that guy. You know, who can Harry his first goal just well placed at the back post for a, a great header. Uh, that he finished the second one, Brian Heal, who I want to talk about in a sec, uh, hit him with a nice pass. But like Kane still had a lot of work to do left on the finish. It was a tough angle. He's brilliant. God, is he good? Um, Matt Doherty scoring uh, for Tottenham, uh, playing wing back for them. I thought he was good in this game, and um, and then Son, who so badly needed to get on the score sheet for Tottenham as well. He got the fourth. I mean, he really needed that. You could see the frustration on him uh, or the relief, I should say, after he scored that fourth goal, took the mask off, launched it. Uh, You know, it just felt like this release for him to see one get over the line. Mm. Um, A a hugely important goal. It's good to see Kane and Son scoring goals for Tottenham. But uh, I mentioned Brian Hill uh, a second ago. You know, Tottenham are in this weird position right now where like that's not a player that was probably a part of Antonio Conte's immediate plans but through injury Richarlison goes out Kulisevsky unfortunately for Tottenham you know what I think of him he goes down again with another injury um and so okay like let's here we go like sometimes these are how chances come about you know, it's not always when you expect it but you got to be ready at all times and so now this young player who was a big signing for Tottenham, who was a disappointment, who was loaned back out, seemed like maybe they wanted to transfer, but they couldn't find any suitors for him. Okay, well, now you're you're thrust into the spotlight. Here you go. Like, this is your chance. I thought he made the most of it. I really did. Uh, he was a part of a lot of the action for Spurs, had an assist in this one in setting up Kane's second goal, a, a really nice pass, kind of splitting the defenders. Again, like I said, Kane had a lot of work to do, but he'll put him in the right position. Uh, also, a key pass on the first goal, kind of had the hockey assist for that one. Um so like, you know, these are, these are the moments, I guess I, I talked the other night on our podcast, JJ, about who are the players under Antonio Conte that have really improved from before Matt he Darty. got there to now. Um, if you know, we haven't seen it really yet, other than the new incoming players like Benton and Kulisevsky, but if Brian Hill can turn into one of those players, uh, who knows? It could be massively important. The hard part for him is just going to be maintaining minutes. Uh, you know, that's going to remain the issue because eventually guys are going to get healthy. Richarlison and Kulisevsky are going to come back into the lineup and, and then what? Um, so you know, it, it, it'll be hard for him to maintain that place, but I guess it's a problem that you want to have. You want to have guys playing well, especially young players like Brian Hill playing well. So uh, that was a good sign for them today that I thought they got a good performance out of a player like that, that maybe they, um, you know, like I said, was thrust into this position somewhat unexpectedly. That's two straight starts for him. Maybe he'll build up a little momentum, build up some confidence, and, you know, who knows? Who knows where it goes from there? So important win for Tottenham. Three points on the board. 
Um, and God, did they need it because, I mean, we talked about where this club was at just a few days ago. I had him in, as one of my crisis clubs. We had uh, we had Antonio Conte on the helicopter to Turf Moor to give another one of his panic press conferences where he's, he's no longer good enough and he can't be the manager of this club anymore. Um, so this at least maybe eases things a little bit um, around White Hart Lane. And now to Everton. That's right, JJ. Oh. They were completely overwhelmed by oh Brighton, my God. four to one, and it is it's becoming it's becoming a sadly familiar situation for Everton managers. Yeah, look, uh, I said last season I felt Frank Lampard should have been sacked in June after after what happened, um, regardless of of staying up. Um, but there was such a, a kind of a wave of optimism just like trapped in this in this scenario of well the fans seem to have formed this bond with him let's keep him but really you know how did they how did we get to this place where we're fighting you know to the last day to stay up so um yeah i would have gotten rid of lampard earlier on uh brighton just like you said, overwhelmed them, the, the passing, their movement. And then Everton had the ability to shoot themselves in the foot with the um, Pascal Gross goal where, you know, Idrissa Gay, I, I still don't know what he was doing. I mean, he can't possibly, such a weak, under-hit pass to no one. Who did he think he was squaring that to or trying to get the ball to? Just awful. Um I'm reading here from The Guardian, just a quick one on Everton. So Frank Lampard to remain in charge of Everton for FAA Cup amid serious doubts. This is by Andy Hunter. Um, manager's long-term future unknown after abysmal run of form. Uh, Lampard needs result against Manchester United in the Cup. So no pressure there going against Manchester United who are in flying form. Um, eight defeats in 11 matches in all competitions and one win from 10 uh, in the Premier League. This this kind of squad that's been assembled, bits of Lampard, bits of God knows going back to Cumin or whoever, like this whole mess of of a squad, um, they look relegation bound, and the only thing that's going to kind of help them and and other teams in that predicament is that there are other teams who who seem pretty bad right now, but none more so than Everton, and. Um, I don't know. I, I I so strongly feel that the summer was the chance for some kind of a reset. But when you don't have the football people there making those decisions, Andrew, does it does it really matter? Like they're just going to constantly be this cycle of got to get a manager in to keep us up. That manager comes in, he's not good enough longer term, and so it begins again and again and again. And it uh, the club needs a complete overhaul. I, as did Anthony Robinson, went on Everton chat. The um, the space on Twitter last night, which was just to listen in on Everton fans. One yeah, guy I saw said that he he was in there. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, USMNT only thought this was hilarious. Like that he was trying to, you know, like oh what a own by Anthony Robinson because this club didn't give him a shot. That's I don't think that's the case. I think that uh, firstly he was injured a lot of the time and he had a lot of underage success with Everton but just kept getting injured, went out and alone, and then was released eventually to Wigan, I think it was, or Bolton. Um, but uh, but Anthony Robinson is probably an Everton fan. He was there as a kid until, uh, you know, and, and during his formative years as a football player. 
So both myself and, and Jedi were in there listening to, to the moans and the groans of Everton fans who are... What was said? I mean, they, they're talking Dyche, though. So many of them were like Dyche and Duncan uh, Ferguson. Oh, I mean, everything I mean. seems to have been... Or Dyche and Leighton Baines. Um, again, short memories. Like, Burnley were heading through the trap door with Dyche anyway. He just got out with enough time for there to be games in which ever, uh, Burnley could have been saved and they ultimately weren't and they went down. And somehow, you know, like I, I've seen this from a few pundits. Uh, oh, you know, they should have kept Dice on. They wouldn't have gone down if Dice was there. No, they were heading down anyway. So, like, I don't think Dice is the answer. And one of the grimmest comments was um, they were talking about the football structures at Everton and the guy said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, the only structure we have is the one going up at Bramley Dock, which is the new stadium. And then I thought, oh, God, yeah. And I checked in on that, and it's it's well underway. Yeah. They can't be in the championship. They can't be. Going into a new stadium. Can you imagine how disastrous that would be? Yeah, I saw too, JJ, if Lampard is to lose his job. I mean, it seems like he'll have a chance to save it, but it's it's teetering right on the brink right now. Um some of the names on the short list, like you mentioned, Sean Deitch. I also saw Roberto Martinez, his name being revived, uh, which will not, I don't think that'll give Everton fans any joy or enthusiasm over that coming back to the club. Uh, and then a kind of shocking one, at least for me, uh, JJ, maybe this is one of those win the press conference type names, but Wayne Rooney's name has been included on the short list. Is that the uh, answer here? No, I don't think so. Me I neither. mean, I mean, he's still trying to figure it out at DCU. Um, I mean, more than that, like he had glorious failure at Derby with extenuating circumstances because of the points yeah. deductions, but still failure. Um, yeah, but I don't know that, like if you were to I don't talk hold that to, one against to Derby County fans, of, you know, what they thought of him in his time there, I don't know that they would tell you he was a failure. But but is is Everton's... Ja, Everton's response to Frank Lampard to replace a relatively inexperienced manager who was a great player with an even more inexperienced manager who was a great player. I don't know. Like Probably not. It, this feels like a situation where they're almost going to have to get lucky. Because if you go back and look at the list of managers that they've had since David Moyes, if you include interim managers, they've had 11 mm -hmm. Over that stretch since 2013, they've had 11 yeah. different managers. Now, again, a couple of them, David Unsworth was an interim twice. Duncan Ferguson was briefly an interim manager twice, but they've, they've rolled through name after name, all with minimal success. You know, I mean, Martinez, I, I guess if they had to do it all over again, maybe Marco Silva just, maybe they would have rode that storm. You know, he went through a rough patch and they pulled the ripcord probably a little too yeah. soon. Maybe that was one where stability matters and they should have, you know, look what Arsenal, I'm not saying it would have been the same thing, but Arsenal rode through the, the tough, rough patches with Mikel Arteta and couldn't, they came out the other side. Silva might have been an example. Couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't um, agree with you more. Now, but the, the problem is because of the dangers of like falling out or going down, this this is the problem with the Premier League vortex. You're like, it sucks clubs into these decisions. Don't want to go down, so can't give a guy time. Want to give a guy time, but are, is he definitely going to turn it around? Like, they want guarantees that aren't there. It was a good shout on Marco Silva. Um, well, the problem, too, is that, like, Everton fans, they kind of had that brief window of, of false hope in, under Carlo Ancelotti. Like, 
he was just recently there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy to think he but went they from were Everton just, to Real Madrid. I know Everton fans would take it right now, but they were just bang average under Carlo. Bang average. But um, Yes, but, I mean, God, what an improvement that would be to just feel comfortable right now. Not you know, not every game. This worry of what it's going to mean in terms of their their point totals at the end of the season, whether or not they're going to survive, it's dire. We we called this. I mean, we said even after the the scenes of joy when they stayed up, we we said the confetti at some point it's going to get cleaned up, and then they're going to look around this room and they're going to say we're still terrible. Yeah. And sure enough, here they are. Like this, I I guess sure replace Lampard. I, I, like we like we said earlier in this podcast, you can't get rid of all the players, but like so so you change the manager and hope that does something to rejuvenate the squad. But the players are who they are, and I, you know we can go through manager after manager since Moyes, but like they've all failed because the recruitment has been terrible. You know they they haven't made the right signings for this team. It's like. Fine, bring in another manager. Maybe you'll get that new manager bounce, and in the end, maybe that'll be enough to stay up. But like, if you're looking for, you know, some some dramatic sudden change in the trajectory of the club, it it doesn't. I don't see it. They're gonna have to just get lucky. Um, Elton Wellsby, Everton supporter and former ITV The Match football presenter, the vibes coming out of Goodison aren't good. Apparently, we can't afford to buy Danny Ings only get him on loan, which Villa don't want to do. So during this transfer window, it seems we haven't got money to spend unless we sell. That will presumably apply to whoever is manager. I mean, if you think about, JJ, the the pitfalls of the new stadium, like we looked at what happened with Tottenham, you know, what did that mean for Spurs? You know, that they had to be careful with what they did in the transfer market. So, okay, that took them from a place of, you know, it's frustrating because it felt like they were at a title contender standard and it dropped them down to having to battle for a Champions League place. Well, if Everton now are dealt with the same sort of situation where money becomes tight because of you know whatever the costs are of going into a new, a new stadium, take that what that difference was for Tottenham and apply it to Everton, a team battling to stay up in relegation. Well, okay, if suddenly now like funds are sucked out of the club and they can't make moves, now you're to- okay. Well, now it's relegation. And if they if they continue to not you know if they're still not able to make moves, then what does that mean? Like the fatalist in Everton fans would look at that and say, "Now we're a championship level club, like that. That's the future." Now that that's a dramatic look into the future, and and you know I'm not saying that that's you know a likely scenario, but it is a scenario mm. in terms of going to a new stadium, and if if money becomes an issue, then yeah. It's it's these are this is they got to get this right. Either Lampard writes the ship or they whatever they bring in next. It's got to be just they have they do have to stay up. They've got to figure out a way to do it. No, it's imperative. Um, yeah, it's what a mess. It's like you're, um, I hate to say I I thought I, you just didn't feel like you said once the party was wound up and the cups were put away and the champagne was mopped up. They were still in the same spot, a bad team, and they haven't got any better. Dire, dire situation. We might be due for a, another Everton in the club. We've done two with them, haven't we? Might be yeah. time for another. Uh, yeah, we did We did one Christmas 2020-21 when they were like second in the table. Oh, man. Boy, that feels like a long time ago. Holy yeah. moly. Oh, boy. Oh, JJ, that, that, I think that about does it for this pod. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think we're done. We got to get out of here. I'm emotionally spent. This this World Cup journey that we thought was over, it's not. <laughs> this is still all just like remnants and shrapnel from the World Cup. It's exhausting. It's fascinating. It's sad. It's so many things. The other thing that it is, like you said earlier, it's not over. It's not no. over until we know the fate of Greg Berhalter as manager of this team. Uh, then this will continue to be a major issue. And if he winds up not being the manager, then that brings us down the whole road of, okay, well, now we got to start talking about new candidates. Who do they go with? I mean, this is, man, what a soap opera U.S. soccer has become. And it's so weird, too, during this time when, like, we kept hearing about vibes. Oh, the vibes are so good. That room is so oh. tight-knit. Like, And maybe that's true. Like, maybe this is kind of an unfair picture that's, that we're now painting of this team, that it's a, that it's a total wreck. In that locker room, it may not be. Like they, they may very well still be very tight and close with one another, but like just from the, from the outside, it just feels like this is a train wreck right now. I don't want to hear. And again, back to the corporate speak anymore about culture and, uh, the feeling within the group. I, none of that anymore. Okay. And by the way, Harvard Re- uh, business review, I can't going to be tuning into you tomorrow. Oh man. Is that streaming? Is there a link yeah, to there's, that? There's a link. If you go to the Harvard Business Review Twitter, they have a link up for it. But uh, They have you know no the idea. Link... I, I hope the admin is prepared for a tidal wave of, uh, of viewers for that. The link took me uh, to, to LinkedIn. So I guess it's been hosted by LinkedIn uh, somehow, by LinkedIn video or whatever. All I know is LinkedIn, the home of corporate bullshit. I, it'll be very tough for JJ tomorrow, but I'll get through it. Well, good luck. Tweet out the link. I'd like. I, I want a piece of that. I got to get. I've retweet. I've retweeted it. Uh, okay. Because it, I think it was yesterday, um, and it's on our page, which everyone should go to and follow us right now at co soccer pod on Twitter. Um, go join us there, and please rate and review us uh, through these sad, sad times. Uh, let me see. Yes. Um, Speaking exclusively through the medium of business leadership conferences. Uh, and it's brought oh. to you by Unius. Unisys. Oh, Unisys. Hey, right. guess what, Andrew? Unisys, they're relentlessly reimagining the status quo to propel people and organizations forward. Keep breaking through. <laughs> it sounds like, uh, who did George Costanza work for? Or what was his fake charity? The Human Fund. People helping people. <laughs> right? It was his fake charity that he uh, made donations. Listen, to. Andrew, if I don't get to bed, I will not All be right. able to... I won't be able to get any key deliverables done tomorrow. And uh, you know what? Going forward, I think that's something that could propel us into the future. What a time to be an American soccer fan. Boy, every day you just don't know what it's going to bring. Uh, this was fun, my friend. It was weird. Is fun the word? troubling i enjoy enjoy talking about this with you i guess that that's what i can say i I like kind of talking through my thoughts with you that i find that fun the subject matter eh, i don't know um i don't know uh all right jj go get some rest i'm tired too i'm gonna get some rest as well hey to you i say check you later fun boy i'll see you man take care you've been listening to the caught offside soccer podcast Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.